Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. You're more likely to go to prison in the U.S. than any other country in the world. So if the in the unfortunate case that this happens to you, this is the Survivor's Guide to Prison. That's what this film is called, The Survivor's Guide to Prison. Following the stories of two innocent men, Bruce Lisker and Reggie Cole, who spent decades behind bars for murders they did not commit, gripping testimony from inmates, guards, staff, cops, analysts, lawyers, and reformers, Survivor's Guide exposes the failed punishment model and examines the dramatic programs proven to work. We're joined today by the director of Survivor's Guide to Prison. That would be Matthew Cook. Matthew, welcome to Film School. Thank you. So happy to be here. Great. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, this is a, a huge issue. I think uh, even though we constantly hear about law and order and, and polit- no politician's ever been unelected for, for, for calling for stricter, more, more punitive punishments for people that deserve to go to jail forever, that kind of crap, we, we, we are beginning, it's beginning to dawn on people that maybe this model isn't the, the most appropriate, most effective, efficient, whatever. A lot of things are happening, and I, so I feel like this f- film has come along at a time when there will be a very receptive audience for, for what you're saying in a Survivor's Guide to Prison. Curious how you and your executive producer, Susan Sarandon, and others decided this was the time to do this film. Well, it's sort of like there's been a raging fire that's been burning down all of our houses for the past, oh, 50 years, and we've known that. And so it really just every single person on the film, uh, you know, David Arquette and Christina Arquette, without whom we would have not been able to complete the film by any measure. Um, you know, Adrian Grenier and Jesse Williams and all the amazing people who've come, and Danny Trejo, have come on to support the film. They're all representing their own feelings about the state of the system as well, which is just we are long overdue for an update to a you know two hundred year old bad idea. Yeah. You know, how did we used to address crime and punishment? How did we used to address conflict in our society? Well, you know, someone would do something wrong, you drag them into the middle of the town square and you chop their hands off. That's pretty barbaric. Well, the next evolutionary step up from that was throwing people inside of a cage for, you know, indefinite periods of time. And, you know, that's, that's our best thinking. It's hundreds of years old, and it's bad thinking. It doesn't work. Over 80% of the people that go to prison, state prison, which is where majority of people go to prison in this country, they go back within five years. So that's an 80% failure rate. That's just in terms of rehabilitating and changing the lives of the people who are committing crime. We're not doing that. Well, what else aren't we doing? We're not helping the victims of crime heal. We're not helping them to get over whatever offense took place. We're not helping them to move on. And in the ideal, what should be our objective, we're certainly not doing anything to help them reconcile with the perpetrators of the crime so that we have a better society that's more in harmony and so that our streets are safer. Instead, we've got this 80% failure rate. We put you know, unprecedented amounts of mostly poor people in prison. We have over 2 million, 2 million people behind bars in this country. It's unimaginable. And we, that drastically affects their families. You know, we have the largest 
uh, population of women in prison as well. And those women, the majority of them, are moms. And the majority of those moms are victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault. So what do we do when we bring these women into prison? We re-traumatize them. These traumatized women who did something wrong, whose lives went off off track, I'm not saying they shouldn't be held responsible. What I'm saying is we should also be held responsible as to how we respond to that. And we don't just re-traumatize those, those women and those people and, and, and drastically negatively affect their families as well. That's not justice. That's madness. There was a time in this country in in which the, our prison system was seen as progressive, kind of a, a, a working model for many other countries who had been much more punitive and came to the United States to sort of study it in a in a way of may a way of sort of reforming their own system. But all that seems to have changed and I'm not exactly sure you know, where it started, but it, it went from a uh, rehabilitation opportunity to sheer just punishment. And it seems to correlate. Yeah. It seems to correlate, and I may be wrong. My, my uh, sociology may be off here. But it seemed to co- coordinate at a time when African Americans were trying to get more, were in the process of achieving greater rights, financial opportunity, education opportunities it seems like that there's there is a component of this it's not the only thing certainly by a long ways but certainly race seems to have played a part in this idea of punishing without rehabilitation um i don't know if that's sort of going out on too far out of of what we want need to talk about but there is something to that um do you have yeah no i don't think it's going i don't think it's going too far out i think it's going not far out enough. I mean, it's not far out. That's just the way it's been. I mean, yeah. if you look at a lot of the, if you look at the history of, of policing in this country, you can trace it right back to slave patrol. Yeah. If you look at the drug laws in this country, the drug laws were literally created for particular races. Right. Anti-cocaine laws were targeting African Americans, black Americans. Anti-marijuana laws were targeting Mexicans, were yeah. targeting Mexican Americans. There were headlines back at the turn of the century that said, uh, marijuana was giving Mexicans superhuman strength. Right. You know, this kind of paranoid reefer madness nonsense to get uh, racist whites behind politicians who were going to be, quote-unquote, tough on crime, which in a lot of cases is just a tug whistle for making sure that, you know, white jobs aren't taken away by people of color. So, you know, the opium laws were targeted against the Chinese. You're not going out on a limb at all. Yeah. And if you look at what happened in the 60s and 70s when Nixon took office and declared war on drugs, you know, enemy number one, who was he talking about? Well, he was talking about liberals, and he was talking about black and brown people, and some of people of color. And that tough-on-drugs, tough-on-crime rhetoric, everybody knew what he was talking about. He was talking about cracking down on those long hairs and those Jews and those people of color. And, and you listen to the Nixon tapes, and he, he says it. You know, you hear Richard Nixon saying, you know, what is it with the Jews, Bob? Like he's, he, that's what he's, that's how he, these people were. I know. And, uh, you know, so this is not, this is not an accident that suddenly in the 70s the, the prison population starts skyrocketing. And with the mandatory minimums, you, you see the disparity between cocaine and crack and how we prosecute those. And you see it to this day, you know, black and white people or, you know, people of color and white people use and sell drugs at exactly the same rate. And yet, you know, people of color are put in prison. They're more likely to be put in prison for those crimes. They're more likely to be put in prison for a longer period of time 
for exactly the same infraction. Right. And by the way, what the hell are we doing putting people inside of a cage for harming themselves? Why is that the solution that we've come to? It's absurd. And by the way, to not let, uh, you know, to certainly Richard Nixon absolutely couldn't agree more. But let's not leave out of the, uh, the discussion, you know, the mandatory sentencing laws of the mid-1990s when President Clinton signed the, the federal mandate uh, for sentencing guidelines, giving judges no discretion. You were three strikes and you're out kind of laws kicked into effect. And the discussion about super predators just goes along with what you're exactly describing. Absolutely. This yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. But I don't I don't mean to just bash. Oh, no. But you're <laughs> Rich Nixon. Let's bash everybody while we're at it. Yeah. No, I, bash it, them all. It's this a bipartisan effort for, for, for that 1994 crime bill, yeah. which basically ended all those programs. Uh you know, that was devastating to people inside prison. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's been, you know, contributed some, some you know, <laughs> a, a, another brick to this, you know, wall of shame. Right. We're speaking with Matthew Cook. He's the director of a film called Survivor's Guide to Prison. So I want to talk about the film, but before I do, because it, it is a lot of very practical information god help us if any of us actually need to follow the guide uh but it does happen but i before we do uh, some of the statistics are staggering 14 million americans are are arrested every year when and that that in and of itself is a you know that that's that's phenomenal one in out out of every 10 prisoners in prison serve, uh suffers from some uh sexual abuse there's only 5,000 jails and prison in this country we incarcerate people at a higher rate than any other country in the world. Uh, we have over two, as you said, over two million people in prison. And our system for rehabilitation is only now, if at all, beginning to have some sort of an impact. As well as, let's not forget, our private prison system, which, which, profits, uh, which uh, incentivizes keeping pris- people in prison for longer because you get more, a higher profit which is completely immoral and unbelievable that we've allowed that to happen. So, so having said yeah. all, and there are more statistics, if you want to throw some more out there, Matthew, feel free. But well, you, you got it. You know, I mean, it's, I think we got to balance it. But yeah. yeah, so let's talk about, in the film, Survivor's Guide to Prison, you focus on a couple of uh, inmates, uh, Bruce Lisker and Reggie Cole, as well as others who describe their experiences and what it means to survive in this uh, barbaric incarceration system. What, what? How did you come upon this idea, this particular sort of point of view, to talk about our prison system? What, what was it that prompted this? Survivor's guide. Yeah, to make it a survivor's guide. In other words, hey, you're. This is what you need to survive our prison system. Was that because I haven't heard it approached from that particular point of view before? I mean, I just I want the film to appeal to people who don't normally watch documentaries. Gotcha. I want it to appeal to to young people and and just people who might want to just come at it from a different angle and not the traditional format. You know, make it make it more interesting and also making a a, a larger point pretty clear yeah. that if you're in the United States, you know, you need a survivor's guide. It's, you know, I'm, we're taking a little jab, you know, maybe not a little one, a major jab yeah. at how crazy this thing is and not doing everything possible to take away any pretense that this is somehow normal. Yeah. 
So if you're in the United States, you should watch the Survivor's Guide to Prison because you're more likely to go to prison here than anywhere else in the entire world. That's ridiculous that you should need to have a Survivor's Guide. And the other point of it is how do we survive prison as a model? Because if we use punishment and revenge as the model for how we address conflict and harm, we will not survive as a species. We won't. We have to evolve. We have to learn what it's like to be in each other's shoes. We have to learn to give way. We have to learn to live harmoniously and listen more and not be so belligerent with each other. We need to be respectful and understanding. We need to be adults, and we need to be adult humans. And if we don't do that, we're, we're in major, major trouble. And I think a lot of aspects of our public policy, certainly like, you know, the, the people who pretend to represent us in government, I mean, we've never been in a time with more belligerent, like classless, disrespectful, uh, ugly, divisive, you know, kind of a culture. And so we've got to, um, we've got to look at it with the, you know, with the perspective that's required which is, this is not the way to do things, it's not normal, and it's not going to, uh, we're not going to survive it. You're absolutely right. We are living through a period of time when at the highest levels of our government, it is, these, they've picked the worst of the worst in almost every significant aspect of governing. Uh, they've picked the worst people to be to put in charge, and our, and our justice system, it's, that's, that's the case. You have people who are ideologues, who don't care about anything but locking more people up. It's just, it's, it's really is crazy. My only hope in all of this nuttiness is that there's such a, that there is a reaction away from this, and that this point of view will be so thoroughly discredited that we don't have to deal with these arguments anymore. That is my, my sort of, you know, I don't know if it's a fantasy, is that the right way to put it, but certainly I'm hoping that at the end of this cycle, which I think it will end, uh, we will be we will be able to forever put these arguments away, never to be heard again. You have assembled a wonderful cast of people to talk about these different issues. You mentioned Danny Trejo, uh, Tom Morello, uh, Quincy Jones, Patricia Arquette, Warren G., uh, David Serrato, who's who's uh, wonderful. Michelle Alexander, who wrote uh, the new Jim Crow law, uh, is there's a ton of Danny Glover. There's a ton of people that you've you've enlisted in telling this story that are powerful yeah. or well spoken. Who who have done a you've done a great job of of just assembling a really solid lineup of people. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, look, these are all people who just feel the exact same way, and I just wanted to. You know, selfishly, I wanted to do something with with people who are my heroes, who I just love and look up to. But you know, more to the point, I wanted to assemble a group of people, and all of our producers wanted to assemble people who really could represent the fact that this is the whole uh, the whole United States. Yeah, we are all in this together. We all feel this way about it. This this affects everybody. This is not just you know this particular demo or that particular demo or you know this is everyone. This is everybody, and so you know, plus all of these different entertainers and actors and academics and thinkers and all these different citizens of this country have a different mouthpiece and can speak to a different kind of constituency and help us all to come together on this thing and start shifting us, you know, hopefully not too slowly, but, you know, but certainly surely in a new direction. First of all, if people want to find out about the film, you have a Facebook page, Survivor's Guide to Prison on Facebook. You have a Twitter. Survivor's Guide to Prison.com slash Facebook. 
Survivors After Prison. Uh, sorry, that's not what it is. Facebook.com slash Survivors After Prison. Right. And they should just download the movie. Yeah. Just get it from iTunes. It's available right now. It's on iTunes. It's on Apple TV. It's on Amazon. It's a really, really exciting, insane. Yeah. Uh, in 80 minutes, you will be an expert on uh, on what is happening and, and the absurdity and the madness and armed and ready uh, to tell all your friends about you know, what, what the direction is that we should be going. And, and it's, uh, you won't regret having seen it. So I hope everybody, everybody, all your listeners see it. Amen to that, uh, Matthew. You, you, will, you will come away from this movie able to counter arguments that are constantly being made that are incorrect, are misleading. By watching this film, you will have a, a good grasp of what the system is about, what the arguments are, how to counter them. I, and also, people care about this stuff, but on, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has, I don't know yeah, what Yeah, my, my mom just got Rotten Tomatoes like 500 times. I think that's how it is. I'm just kidding. Yeah, in the, in the last minute I have with you, is there anything in the making of this movie that, you were surprised, shocked, uh, um, unaware of that you had kind of known a little bit about going into the film. Is there something that you came, uh, sort of as a takeaway, that really kind of cemented your your uh, your sense of of where we are in our in our judicial system? I was just shocked that I ran out of money so fast. <laughs> it was just amazing that, that the film took five years and we ran out of our funding in year two. Okay. That was shocking. Okay, um, but that was more. Of, but for side note, in terms of the criminal justice system, uh, I think that the fact that we have a 97% fee bargain system, meaning like nobody gets trials in the United States, they go and they get their charges, you know, kind of piled on, them, and then they have to do a plea deal, and that's crazy. We're supposed to have the right to a to a fair trial, uh, and we don't have that here. So right. that's astounding, and I think the, the failure rate. You know, I didn't know. I knew we had a bad rate of, you know, bad success rate, but I had no idea it was 80%. Yeah. That 80% of people who go to state prison, or the majority of people go to prison in the U.S., go back. We've got to be better for each other than that. That's terrible. Yeah. You know, and I think, like, maybe, maybe another surprising thing, this is the last one. We put such a burden on our police officers to basically catch everyone who falls through the cracks of any of our societal ills. And that's not fair to them. Yeah. We can't arm them with, you know, with, with a gun and, and a badge and some cuffs and a taser and hope that they're going to solve mental illness. Hope that they're going to resolve domestic issues. Hope that they're going to resolve addiction and depression and you know, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And how are we asking these guys, you know, men and women, to do all that? It's not. It's not fair to them. Yeah. You know, and and we put them in a structure where we're where we're policing for profit. You know, our government depends upon citizens to a certain extent breaking the law in order to fund our city budget. That, why would we put our, our men and women in uniform in a position to collect? Right. That's not right. That, that was the case in Ferguson. That, that was the first time I'd ever heard about that. But you're, I'm sure it's going on all over the country. Parking, parking meters are that. Yeah. But just you think that's kind of the fees and fines that we have in our court system. And it's really not right. It's not right to what we're doing to the people, and it's not right to ask our people to be enforcing those kind of unethical laws. 
Amen. Amen to that, Matthew. Um, thank you so much for the film. The film, again, The Survivor's Guide to Prison. We've been speaking with the director of the film. That would be Matthew Cook. Matthew, thank you for your work, and thank you for joining us here on Film School. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.